This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today in our 297th episode, we have a bunch of news, including a new theropod from Brazil, some dinosaur sculptures, some of which got damaged, and an upcoming non-Jurassic Park dinosaur movie. But don't get too excited. It's maybe not as good as Jurassic Park, but we'll talk about that more later. (laughs) And we have Dinosaur of the Day, Balaur. But before we get into all of that, really quickly want to thank some of our patrons. We have one new patron to thank this week, and that's Cameron. And then the other nine rounding out our random drawing winners are Rhinosaurus, John Heck, Trev, Kyle, Dino Bow, Verosaraptor, Scotty, Mayu, Wyatt, and Greg. Yeah, thank you so much, everybody. We really appreciate all of your support, and we've had a great time watching movies with you and, of course, catching up with you all on our Discord. So if you want to join our growing community, then check out our page at patreon.com slash inodino. So jumping into the news, our first news story is going to be a new dinosaur from Brazil. It was published in Scientific Reports and written by Juliana Sayao and others. And in it, they describe Aratosaurus museu nacionali, and Aratosaurus comes from two words in the Tupi language, which is the language that was spoken in Brazil prior to colonization, at least in parts of Brazil. Ara means born, and Ata means fire. So it's something like dinosaur born from fire. Did it have something to do with volcanoes? <laughs> no, <laughs> but I like where your head's at. <laughs> the species name will help clarify that. It's Museu Nacionali. And that's after the National Museum in Rio de Janeiro, which was mostly burned in 2018. Oh, so it's a tribute dinosaur. Yes. It was prepared in that museum and it was there when the museum burned down. But fortunately, it didn't get damaged by the fire. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's named after that. I think they didn't give a reason for the genus name, but they did say that the species name, which I'm not going to say again because it's hard to say. (laughs) is after the National Museum, but I think I could connect the dots and say that it's all named after that fire. So Aratosaurus, or maybe it should be Aratasaurus, is from Brazil's Araripe Basin, which is a much drier basin than the Amazon Basin. It's kind of in the same ballpark. It's in northeastern Brazil, but farther east than the Amazon. So it's kind of like near that point, which would fit snugly into Africa back when they were joined or if they rejoined for some reason. Even though it's much drier than the Amazon basin, somewhere I I saw that they called it semi-arid. Another place I looked said it was tropical. 
So, I mean, I guess it's tropical because it's seven degrees south. So by definition, it's in the tropics, but it still looks pretty green in the pictures. So um, I guess semi-arid isn't really that dry, but definitely drier than the Amazon. It seemed like it would be a reasonably okay place to do paleontology. It didn't look like it was too rainy or too muddy. There wasn't that much plant coverage everywhere. So you might actually be able to find a fossil on the ground without digging through a few feet of dirt. So that's helpful. And the Araripi Basin is from the early Cretaceous. In this case, we think the fossil was about 110 to 115 million years old. So pretty old. There's still about 50 million years of dinosaurs after this dinosaur, but there were 100 million years or so before. <laughs> so we're two thirds of the way through dinosaur evolution at this point. I think the main takeaway is dinosaurs lived a very long time. They really did. Or the non-avian ones, I should say. It's pretty ridiculous. You can include the avian ones too, and then they just lived an even longer time. True. <laughs> Another notable dinosaur from the same area is Irritator, famous for its irritating <laughs> tendencies. Because it was difficult to excavate. Yeah. And they didn't even find that much of it in the end. So all that work for just a not that exciting find. It's I guess it's helpful because it, it expanded Spinosaurus into some more ecosystems. But anyway... Back to Aratosaurus. Aratosaurus was a theropod, and that's about all we can say about it. You could get a little bit more specific and say it's a Silurosaur, but that's still pretty vague, and we don't have a more specific place for it than that. In the find, they found a, quote, incomplete but articulated right hind limb, end quote. In other words, most of the right leg. They found a partial femur, a partial tibia, and several foot bones. Now, since it's the hind limb, this includes the upper leg, lower leg, and foot, and they're sort of bent in a Z shape is the best way I can describe it. It's a pretty similar angle between the upper leg and the lower leg, and then the lower leg and the foot. So the ankle and the knee are both bent at about the same angle. And in this dinosaur, those three sections, the foot, the lower leg, and the upper leg are all around the same length roughly speaking. So unlike us, they have a way longer foot <laughs> proportionally than we have, which gives them that effect of making it look like their knee bends backwards, but it's really their ankle that you're seeing. So the way the fossil came out, we lost the top part of the femur, and then we missed that sort of second kink in the Z, which is where the ankle is. So we have where the femur connects to the tibia around the knee, and then we have the front of the foot but we're missing the ankle. We don't have the bottom of the tibia in the beginning because it's that's just how the fossil was arranged. Fortunately, though, almost all of the toe bones and claws are complete, so we've got a pretty good foot to work with, and there's enough of the femur and tibia in the mix that they can make some phylogenetic inferences. They also did some histology on the bones. They found that it was still growing, so it was probably a juvenile, and they found four growth cycles, although they said there were two lags, so a couple of the growth cycles weren't full lags in the mix, and as a result, it's at least four years old. It's practically a baby. <laughs> Secrets of the Lost Legend. But not a sauropod. Yeah. They estimate it was about 3.1 meters or 10 feet 2 inches long, and it weighed about 34 kilograms or 75 pounds. So I guess that's medium sized. I don't know. It's weird because we talk about dinosaurs as if they have this consistent scaling, but by the Cretaceous, there were so many huge things 
that I feel like if you're still only 75 pounds in the Cretaceous, that's a small dinosaur. It was only four years old though, so who knows how big it would have gotten. As I mentioned, it's a Silurosaur. That's the group that includes T-Rex, modern birds, and then everything in between. That's how I always think of it, at least. I don't think that's the technical definition. <laughs> Some of the other big groups that are included are the Comsignathids and the Ornithomimids. So Ornithomimosaurs like Gallimimus and things like Comsignathus, the little tiny chickenish ones. The closest relative to Erotosaurus is Zuolong, and that's a similar sized Jurassic basal silurosaur from China. It's about 40 to 50 million years younger though, so the two closest relatives are on opposite sides of the earth and in different <laughs> periods, so it's a little weird. Fortunately for us, the Zuolong find is a lot more complete. They also found part of the forearm and a lot of the skull, so we have a pretty good idea of what it looked like, and as a result, the recreation of Erotosaurus looks a lot like Zuolong. I think they leaned pretty heavily on what Zuolong looks like <laughs> to fill in all the gaps that you can't see based on just a knee and a foot. Weirdly, in their phylogeny, Zuolong and Erotosaurus are sister taxa in a very early branch of Silurosauria with basically 40 to 50 million years of ghost lineage in between them. So you've got Zuolong splitting off from Silurosauria not that long after Silurosauria became its own group in the Jurassic. And then 50 million years later, we've got Erotosaurus in Brazil. And we don't know anything else. <laughs> they look like they're close relatives and nothing else that we found fits with them. And so how these dinosaurs got where they were, we don't know. This happens all the time with dinosaurs. It's just another example of huge new missing pieces that you discover. You find one thing and it shows you all the things that you've been missing. <laughs> Erotosaurus was donated to a nearby museum in northeastern Brazil by, quote, a local resident. And that's all they said about it. I kind of expected that maybe the species name would be after them, but it wasn't. Maybe they don't know. Yeah. Or they wanted to be anonymous. I'm not sure. They said it was found in a gypsum mine and it's not the first time fossils have come from that mine and been donated. Previously, there's been a turtle, small fish, coprolites, and charcoal found from that mine. Nothing about ankylosaurs eating that charcoal. <laughs> no, it is interesting how much charcoal is coming up now that I'm aware of it. Mm -hmm. The bones were being prepared at the National Museum in Rio de Janeiro when the main building was burned down, like I mentioned before, but the fossils weren't affected I guess either they were in a different part of the building or there are also other buildings associated with the museum other than the big former palace, which was the building that burned down. As a result, now they're back in the Museum of Paleontology at the Regional University of Kariri, and that's in the Araripi Basin. So it's kind of gone back to where it was. It sounds basically like they shipped it down to Rio to get prepared, and then they were always planning on getting it back, and that has now happened. And now it's officially described too. I always like it when fossils end up back near where they were discovered because hopefully some people who work in mines or might otherwise stumble upon fossils will see these in a museum and think, if I ever see something similar, I'll recognize it and then it'll get donated to the museum. Maybe some new paleontologists will be inspired to join from the area. That's what you want to see. At least that's what I want to see. <laughs> In other news, and in this case, non-earthly news, Martian news, <laughs> the Curiosity rover has a new drill target that the team has named Marianning. And that's They're going to drill into Marianning? 
well, a target, yeah. But they, they're honoring her. It's According to their blog post, it's to, quote, remind us to include everyone in the endeavor of exploration. That's cool. I wonder how often they name drill targets. Like, do they name every single drill target after someone or something? They name them. It's not necessarily a person's name, I think. Gotcha. Because another target name is Carter Fell. In Glasgow, Virginia, a recent windstorm knocked the head off of a fiberglass sauropod dinosaur that sits across the street from a pizza place, and it's the town mascot. But people from the town, they got together the next day to fix the dinosaur. And apparently, this dinosaur was, quote, first placed there as a prank by local artist Mark Klein. That's according to WDBJ7. Interesting. It was a prank that became a mascot? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and brought a whole town together. ABC 10 published about how the Cabazon dinosaurs ended up on the I-10 in Southern California. We've talked about these dinosaurs before because they appear in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I think the two most famous ones from there are Dinny, the sauropod, and Mr. Rex. But apparently there's more than 50 dinosaurs, and they were built in the 1960s. It took them 11 years to build Dinny out of concrete and rebar from the freeway. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Resourceful. And Dinny's 150 feet long. It costs $300,000 to build. And more dinosaurs have been added to the area since the 1990s, including some animatronic ones. In a recent photo, both Dinny and Mr. Rex are wearing masks. So that's a lot more than I used to know about those dinosaurs. In Victoria, Australia, the Bass Coast Shire is looking to make a dinosaur-themed walking trail to promote the fossils found there and to help with the local economy after the bushfires and now the pandemic. So there's also plans to have paleo art, a museum, and interactive displays And the first dinosaur fossil found in that area was in 1903 at Eagle's Nest Beach. And then more fossils were found in 1978 by Tim Flannery and others. Two dinosaurs unique to that area include Quantosaurus and Gallianosaurus. The dinosaur theme walk will be about 50 kilometers. It would take two to four days to walk the whole thing. And there's plans to promote the history and culture of the indigenous people from the area as well. And the whole thing is estimated to cost $4.5 million. That's not so bad for 50 kilometers. Yeah. 50 kilometers is definitely way too far to walk in a day, though. Well, that's why they're recommending two to four days. (laughs) Yeah, bring a tent. In media news, there's a new B-movie coming out. This is the one Garrett referenced earlier. It might actually already be out. It's called Ebola Rex. We watched the trailer. It's from SCS Entertainment, and it seems to be about a T-Rex that has been injected with Ebola, and now the city is in lockdown. I'm not sure what the plot is. But in the poster of the movie, there's a T-Rex chasing after people, and then behind them all are some explosions. It looks incredibly bad. Well, it's meant to be a (laughs) B-movie. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like snakes on a plane. It's supposed to be goofy. Actually, I'm not sure if snakes on a plane originally was supposed to be goofy. I think snakes on a plane had a bigger budget and better graphics. Yeah. Our mentioning it is in no way an endorsement. Let's just put it that way. Just found it interesting. And last, the cute dinosaur theme park simulation game, Parkosaurus, will be getting a V1 release on August 13th. It's been in early access since the end of 2018. We've talked about this game before. It's really cute. The dinosaurs are colorful, and I think you can give them hats to wear. <laughs> That's the key, the hats. Yeah. How about glasses or little little people outfits? I'll let you know after August 13th. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. 
As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now onto our dinosaur of the day, Balaur, which was a request from Tyrant King via our Patreon and Discord, so thank you. Balaur was a theropod that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now Romania in the Hayteg Island, and it's similar in size to Velociraptor. It's estimated to be around 5.9 to 6.9 feet, 1.8 to 2.1 meters long, and it had these two large retractable sickle-shaped claws on each foot, which is different because Velociraptor, for example, only had one. Yeah, that's interesting. Double claws on each foot. Mm-hmm. It re-evolved a functional first toe to help support its weight, which also had the large sickle claw. And this first toe rotated forward and supported the second sickle claw. Balaur had short, stocky feet and legs and large muscle attachment areas on the pelvis, so it was probably strong but not that fast. The limbs were proportionally shorter and heavier compared to its relatives. The curved toe claws are not too curved. They're actually less curved than dromaeosaurids, but they're similar in shape and curvature to Mesozoic birds. Its feet and legs were short and stocky, and it had fused bones, and the pubic bones are swept back and they bow outwards. Balaur was secondarily flightless. Like an ostrich, meaning it evolved from flying ancestors. Mm-hmm. And the third digit on its hand was small and probably non-functional. It basically only had two fingers on each hand. The type species is Balaur Bondoc, and the genus name refers to a many-headed dragon in Romanian folklore, sometimes thought to have wings, usually portrayed as evil. And the species name means stocky, so the full name means stocky dragon. And it's named stocky because of its muscles compared to its relatives. 
It was described in 2010 by Zoltan Ziski and others, and they found two partial skeletons. The first fossils were found in 1997 by Dan Grigorescu. They found parts of the front limbs, though at the time it was thought to be an oviraptorosaur. The arm was so strange it was hard to correctly piece together. Then a partial skeleton was found in 2009, and that became the holotype, and that was found by geologist and paleontologist Matthias Vermeer, who's known for finding many Transylvanian fossils and who also recently passed away in July 2020 at age 50. Balaur was found in the Sebesh Formation in Red Floodplain Medstone. A lot of vertebrae was found, as well as a lot of the pectoral and pelvic girdles and lots of the limbs. The 1997 fossils were from an individual about 45% longer than the holotype, and that one was found in a younger stratum. Siski and others said that its body was, quote, a dramatic example of aberrant morphology developed in island-dwelling taxa. And we all know island dinosaurs tend to be a little strange. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they get really big, sometimes they get really little. (laughs) Yes. Although in this case, it wasn't anything to do with the size, really. So Haytag Island is known as the Island of Dwarf Dinosaurs. For example, there's the dwarf sauropod Magyarosaurus. The strangeness of Balaur could be because it's an island dinosaur having this island effect, but Balaur wasn't small. It's really hard to classify, though. So over the years, Balaur has been classified as a dromaeosaurid, basal, avian. Nothing definitive, though. No skull was found, so it's unclear if it was carnivorous or herbivorous. Originally, it was thought to be carnivorous because originally it was thought to be closely related to Velociraptor. Siski thought that it could have been an apex predator on the island and may have used its claws to slash prey. More recent studies by Denver Fowler and others found that the feet of paravians likely used their claws to pin prey to the ground and then use their proto-wings to stay on top of their prey and then eat their prey while it was alive, like some modern birds. And based on this large first claw-infused metatarsus, the group of bones in the foot, Balaur was bird-like and probably a predator. Andrea Kau suggested that Balaur may have been an omnivore or herbivore, however, and that's why it had these strange features. So one example is it's missing the third digit, finger on its hands. Balaur was also short and stocky with a wide pubis, so it may have had large intestines to digest plant matter, and then the claw and large first toe could have helped support its weight. Cow called this the dodoraptor model. But after Fowler's research, Cow said that Balaur may have been a predator. Dodo raptor. Yeah, it's a good name. However, in 2015, Cow and others did a phylogenetic analysis, and while inconclusive, they found that Balaur was closely related to AVL and herbivores, such as Sapiornis and Jeholornis, and that the broad pelvic canal and other features were, quote, a combination of features convergently acquired only by the non-predatory clade Therazinosauridae among Mesozoic theropods, end quote, and that Balor may have been herbivorous. So now we've brought Therazinosaurs in. Everything's strange. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's the Therazinosaur of Hattag Island, perhaps? <laughs> Maybe. Those extra claws on its feet were just for defense and not for attacking things. <laughs> <laughs> so Balor's hands were atrophied, so they weren't very useful, and they would have used its feet to get prey if it did that. The claws may have helped it with climbing and perching, so not for slashing prey. And it had a lot of bird-like features, like the fusion of its limb bones, the big first toes, and the first toe claw being similar in size to the second toe claw. So it's either an herbivore or a carnivore, and it either used its extra claw for hunting or not. And it might have been an omnivore as well. (laughs) 
No skull makes it very difficult to know. And our fun fact of the day is exploring a little bit more about ghost taxa, because I mentioned them a couple times earlier. So ghost taxa exist in virtually every animal group, and it's basically any gap in the fossil record. Real quick, just to clarify, between ghost taxa and ghost lineages, so ghost taxa is kind of a broad term, and it can be gaps in the fossil records of any group of animals. So it could be a really large group, like, say, Dinosauria, or it can be a really specific group like Tyrannosaurids. But ghost lineages, according to some people, is only for direct descendants or anagenesis, where one animal is evolving directly into the next, and you're looking for all of the gaps to get filled so you see exactly what this animal evolved from. But in practice, I think most people use the term ghost lineage to mean any kind of ghost taxa. I hadn't really seen ghost taxa too much before investigating this. So As I mentioned before, there was a 40 to 50 million year ghost lineage or taxa before Eratosaurus back to some unnamed basal Silurosaur group, which is a pretty long one, 40 to 50 million years, and we don't know anything about what animals (laughs) were evolving in that time period. But there are tons of these in the paleontological record. There used to be huge gaps between early Tyrannosaurs or Tyrannosauroids in China and their later much larger Tyrannosaurid ancestors in North America, but they've been shrinking all the time with new finds. So now we're down to about 10 to 20 million years of ghost taxa gap (laughs) at the widest gap in their evolution. My favorite example of a ghost lineage or ghost taxa isn't a dinosaur at all, is the coelacanth. You may be familiar with them, they're lobe-finned fish. And coelacanths are a Lazarus taxon, and that's because they were thought to be extinct due to a complete lack of fossils, but it turns out they weren't. They were just living in the ocean this whole time. We thought they went extinct way back 66 million years ago with the non-avian dinosaurs, but it turns out they did not. (laughs) And they were around for a really long time too. They evolved in the Devonian over 400 million years ago way before dinosaurs and apparently still exist today. So they're one of the older animals that hasn't changed in really major ways over that time period. I should clarify though that I say that they were discovered as a Lazarus taxon recently, but even though they were recognized by scientists in 1938 off the coast of South Africa, fishermen had been eating them for a long time. They just weren't talking to the paleontologists who were studying coelacanth evolution and, you know, couldn't find any fossils after 66 million years ago. Just a different group of people down in South Africa that were eating the coelacanths and they weren't talking to each other. So thus (laughs) you have a Lazarus taxon. Also, since that first coelacanth was identified in South Africa, there have been lots of other areas off of the east coast of Africa where coelacanths have been found. And a second species was even found in Indonesia. One of the reasons I think coelacanths are so cool and the fact that they still exist is so cool is because they're lobe-finned fish. The thing that makes the lobe fins on coelacanths and lungfish different than the ray fins that you see on most other fish, like something you might have in an aquarium, is that they actually have bones in them. And eventually, in the case of animals like Tiktaalik, they evolved into limbs that were useful on land and eventually into tetrapods and dinosaurs and humans. (laughs) So coelacanths are sort of, in a way, closely related or at least closely resemble the ancestor of humans and dinosaurs. It's a pretty cool little weird side fun fact. But I want to point out 
that we're not going to find non-avian dinosaurs hiding somewhere. One of the dinosaur documentaries we watched recently with patrons talked about how maybe there are dinosaurs hiding somewhere in the wilderness that nobody's noticed and things like that. But the difference here is those coelacanths were known to humans and were consumed by humans even. So something that's much larger and on land isn't going to be able to escape human detection when there are 7 billion of us and satellite images and all sorts of stuff. If there were non-avian dinosaurs that survived the Cretaceous extinction out in the world somewhere, we would have found it by now. And one last quick aside, ghost lineages also apply to human evolution, but for some reason with humans, they're usually referred to as missing links. And every new fossil in terms of human evolution creates two new missing links because you're basically splitting a ghost lineage in half. But as a result, it shortens the ghost lineages. So I think ghost lineages or ghost taxa are a much more useful concept than missing links because it helps to show how much of a gap in knowledge we have. If you count up missing links, the more knowledge you have, the more missing links you're going to have. Like however many taxa are between Erotosaurus and Zuolong in that 40 to 50 million year gap, right now you might just classify it as one missing link if you're talking about human evolution. And then if you found a new species in the middle of that gap, you'd be like, oh, now there's two new missing links. But really the ghost lineage is shortening and that's the important thing that we're filling in those gaps of evolution. So even though we'll never find every missing link as we shorten these ghost lineages and find out more about evolution, we learn a lot more and that applies to everything, whether it's humans or dinosaurs or coelacanths, it's all good stuff. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes and join our growing community at patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Thanks again and until next time. Good day.